0: Welcome to Digital Therapeutics edition of Digital Health Today, and I'm your host, Eugene Borohowicz. In the previous episode, I had the pleasure of speaking with Eddie Molnar, CEO of Digital Therapeutics Alliance. And in the past life, he actually sang opera. Unfortunately, we couldn't get him to do it on this show. My guest today is Tim Ungst, Associate Professor of Pharmacy Practice at Massachusetts College of Pharmacy and Health Sciences and a clinical pharmacist at a home health care agency. In our conversation today, Tim and I talked about the role of pharmacists within the digital therapeutic space and his take on prescription digital therapies. We talk about medication management and dosing and what Tim is seeing and hearing from the pharmacists but also pharmaceutical companies on the ground. And we talk about the future of DTX and PDTs within the pharmacy industry, including how to educate current and future generation of pharmacists. But before we dive in, I've been following Tim for a number of years on social media, and he always seemed very energetic and passionate about the work he does trailblazing digital health for the pharmacist community. When we finally connected, I'd venture to say about four to five years ago, at one of the Dublin Health Excel events that face-to-face did not disappoint. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Tim Unks. Tim, welcome to the DTX Podcast. For all of our listeners, would love to learn a little bit about who you are, your background, what brought you to TTX? And as always, a small interesting fact about yourself that others may or may not know.
1: Sure. I mean, this is a field I'm so passionate about. I've been in health and digital health for about a decade now. And the things that really got me into this was that I was, as a pharmacy student, I remember when the smartphone came out where I'm in the back of the classroom and I'm just like, oh, this is a new device I could just like look up answers on on the go. I can look up information on the go. And the question became quickly to me like, what is the implications of this? Like, you know, this is early 2000s. Steve Jobs just got off the stage. And I'm looking at this device like, I've never had this. I have to carry around medical textbooks that can kill a man if I hit them with this. But instead, now I had this little thing that could fit in my white coat. That's amazing, right? Then I went to like residency and I started actually using a like, smart tablet to actually process orders. And people are like, how are you doing this? How are you getting things faster? And I started like downloading apps and showing this to patients. And what it turned to is, you know, I'm this early pharmacist and I'm like, you know what? This opportunity is here. And I, I want to get in academia and I'm thinking to myself like, you know what? Why don't I focus on what is the technological revolution going on here with this, te- with this stuff? Like, what is a good app? What's a bad app? I joined with a group called iMedicalApps, which was a bunch of other medical residents. I was the only pharmacist and we were actually evaluating apps and like we were writing stuff. We were going in front of like different organizations. We actually had talked to the FDA about like, what is a good, a good, bad app? And at that time, this is early 2010s. We actually were like, there's too many apps out in the market. This thing has to evolve. We don't have evidence right now. And because we don't have evidence, what's the next phase of a mobile medical app? We did not know what to call it at that time. And that was where, for my work, I started getting involved with like pharmaceutical companies, others serving as a consultant advisor and such. But in the back of my head, I was thinking myself, like, these apps are going to be leading something else, but we don't know what the next phase is. It. And when the digital therapeutic terms came along, I sat back and I was like, okay, this makes a lot of sense. This is the next iteration is gonna happen. It just took a lot of people coming together trying to think, what do we need to research? What's the money behind us and such? Because even for us as medical and the pharmacy and clinicals, we're looking at, but we didn't have a background in the regulatory market that was coming up that had needed to be at play for this. We could just look at this stuff and say, was it clinically meaningful? We could evaluate it, but we were struggling with saying, you know, what was that next phase?
0: So in the two words, you're a trailblazing pharmacist, discovering new frontiers for the patients and for the pharmacist to leverage in order to enhance outcomes. That's more than two words, but I don't know. I just gave you a tagline.
1: <laughs> I'll take it. Interesting fact. My summer job during pharmacy school was I worked in industry. I actually did welding. When people say industry, like, oh, you're like pharmaceutical company. Like, no, no, no. Like- that
0: was my first thought.
1: Yeah, exactly. I lost my sense of smell actually in a manufacturing plant. I actually got industrial solvent up my nose and lost it. So like this whole COVID thing, people are like, oh, you can't smell as a first sign. I was like, I'm screwed. I won't even know. I haven't smelled anything since I was 18 years old.
0: <laughs> Appreciate that fact. You know, good to know. Sorry to hear about loss of smell. I did lose it at one point through COVID very, very briefly, and that felt pretty, pretty horrible, but you must be used to this by now. <laughs> Let's dive right in. There's all these discussions around DTX prescription, DTX non prescription. As a pharmacist that deals with prescriptions, your quick take on PDT versus non PDT? PDTs right now, the fact of the matter is one, the DTX field,
1: everyone started calling themselves a DTX. That like flooded the market. Once, when you start getting away from like, if you don't mind me mentioning companies like certain companies like, yeah, like, you know, early incomes like Pair being like named and like set, update clearance, we saw like killing and such pop up. You know we saw we saw these come on and then all of a sudden we saw all these other companies that were traditionally not defined as a dtx come on and i feel like that really muddied the space it's like you start looking at the background you're like that's not a dtx and i think for these companies that were the early incumbents had to really step out too and that's why we saw this whole push for pdt's too that aside though the biggest issue i've seen in the past five years with this market is definitely payers payers is the biggest thing like how do you get a product to market someone's actually pay for. You can have clinical value, but do you have a financial value stream that makes sense If someone's actually, you know, yeah, I want to pay for this and give you this for a service. So I think PDT is really where it is a natural evolution trying to tap into already existing market stream, which is medications at the end of the day. Eventually, could there be a separate thing, payment scheme and such? Sure. I've been in those conversations. Yeah, those exist. But right now, like how do we work with what's feasible right now? There's someone, you know, prescription medication market trying to mimic that is a low hanging fruit.
0: And you're kind of following that same chain. So let's assume it's a PDT prescription digital therapeutic, maybe as a pharmacist and as someone I know, you know, we were together, you were virtually, unfortunately, we didn't get to shake hands in San Antonio, the American Pharmacy Association meeting. You were one of the presenters to the pharmacists around what is a DTX, et cetera. And so you're very familiar in what at least you're describing the role of the pharmacist within the digital therapeutic area. And maybe you can even contrast a little bit. You know, there's still PBMs with thousands of pharmacists working. There's obviously local corner pharmacies. Maybe you can differentiate a little bit, if at all. So role of a pharmacist as it relates to the digital therapeutics.
1: I think that that will definitely range in terms of like where it's all at. So let me take a step back. You get the pharmacist community, you get the pharmacist who works for a PBM, you get a pharmacist who works for a payer, pharmacist who works in clinical. I can see pharmacists being involved, like pharmacotherapy and review committees, so P&T committees. For instance, you have all this evidence you come up and you say, hey, you know, we have someone coming to us that they want us to put coverage on. Here's their studies, here's their stuff. And this is where I would look at as a pharmacist, like, okay, so now I have a new classification of a treatment. So the so-called PDT, that's one thing. So I have to look at the evidence and evaluate it. What's the number needed to treat? What am I looking at? Look at my downstream financials with that. Is this actually clinically, benefiting meaningful. But then there's a new thing here. How do I compare that PDT against our current standards of care, which is traditionally a medication? You have a like new medication that comes in, like, oh, we have a new drug that's in the same class. We want to compare like, oh, you know, it's once a day versus twice a day versus blah, blah, outcomes, whatever have you. But now we have this new thing here. So does that go along with traditional standards of care? Do we collaborate with that? The clinical studies take that into account. Like, how do I measure it? So, from a clinical aspect, this is where it gets very interesting. We're not really sure how to evaluate this. I think at large, and I think that's one thing that's going to be very interesting. Is I want to see people push that limit. What is the biostatistics that are needed for this? What is the clinical evidence that you actually need to key in onto? To, and that's going to be one thing for like the payer side. So, pharmacists are involved with like those kind of high level decision makings. Should we cover this? These are things that are getting slammed. With. So, for pharmacists, you have to take a step back and be like. You know, what is a PDT? What is a digital biomarker? If that's one of those things, how do you measure that? How do you account for it? How do you tie financial meaning to this stuff compared to our medications at the end of the day? And then you know there's downstream effects from that then. So like for pharmacy, the pharmacy itself, like, do we have to train people if we sort them on this? You came into the pharmacy and say, Hey, I just got started on this, that's with this medication, and then, like you like leave it at the counter like, you know, how do I set up and like, okay, Eugene, do you remember your password to your phone? And you'd be like, No, I'm like, Oh, here we go.
0: <laughs> Well, it's interesting. I mean, one of my biggest questions, and this is in private and public discussions, you know, typically when you take a pill, a pharmacist, yes, understand drug-drug interactions, the process that they take, then they hand you the pill, and every consumer knows they just need to pop the pill, right? There's obviously other use cases around, you know, inhalers and other modalities, but generally it's a pill. When it comes to a DTX, how do you, quote-unquote, dispense it? And do you become a troubleshooter in the front lines, right, of a lot of that? So I'm actually curious, is the DTX on one side, it's a huge promise of real world data, real impact, both biological and non-biological via DTX. But how do you see the role? Does it make it harder for the pharmacist? It's a survey probably around. I would love to see how pharmacists are even feeling about this in the front lines.
1: I would say for the pharmacists around the front lines, they're really in charge of dispensing everything off the cusp if this is something that's added onto their work with the current workflow they have it will be a pain they will hate this they will absolutely hate this because there's no money involvement there's no extra staff to help set it up so like if you have a technician's like has to spend like 15 minutes to help someone set up an app on their phone just so that that new connected medication that's a dtx like hooks up let's use diabetes for example oh man the pharmacy is going to hate it because they're be like well we just spent 15 minutes helping you do this we just did tech support work right and we didn't even make a dime off of this. We didn't even get paid, because we, we had no one to bill for this. So at the end of the day, the company is gonna be like, well, you just offered this free labor. We didn't get anything from that. And the rest of your main labor that makes the money for the company is actually falling more in the red. So this is just something that has to get. So someone has to come up with a Is like, yes, pharmacists are readily available. I know that, but we give away so much for free.
0: Just like in the molecular world, is there a dispensing fee for DTX, right? Or that's a little bit of the danger that I see for the pharmacist community, that pharmacists are not even in the picture, right? Because there's so much of that. So it is a script. You pick it up just online, right? You download it, you put in the script number, and that's it. So that's a little bit of where my head is. Are pharmacists part of this or not? If you fast forward, I don't know, maybe even a decade, right? Or five years from now.
1: I think pharmacists, like by and large, will be involved with it to one extent or another. And it's, it's because, again, it's like so readily available. Let's put it this way you have patients who get online prescriptions, online services, and such, but they'll still actually call down to our neighborhood pharmacy for questions they have. And that's even more problematic at the end of the day. Like, you want a good example of polypharmacy? There you go. So, for this stuff, yeah, I see the fact that if we have DTX that are combined with medications, which those things are coming to market, we're going to have to deal with those, whether that's specialty or your normal community pharmacy, that's going to be the main question because that could be the differentiator. DTX by themselves also with hardware. You know, who's going to staff the hardware? You see what CVS, you see what Walgreens, a bunch of them also are doing. They're not making pharmacies of the future. They're making health hubs. That's a reality of the situation. So they're going to tap into this one way or another. They want to put this stuff on their shelves and sell it. But they got to be smart. I mean, Walgreens doesn't need to do not a Theranos. <laughs> <laughs> they don't need to get in trouble for that stuff again.
0: Exactly. And it's interesting because in my head, uh, I was actually going to ask you a question around do the pharmacy services need to be redesigned in the context of DTX? And I don't want to put words into your mouth, but it sounds like it's health hubs. Yes, the pharmacy is part of it, and a DTX may or may not. And actually, you mentioned CVS, the old care mark, there is a formulary for certain DTXs that's in there. I don't know if you want to comment more around pharmacy services redesign in the context of the DTX. Or is it with or without the DTX just need to be redesigned or not? This is
1: where it gets interesting with DTX. So if we look at DTX versus BDTs then, is DTX also a safer kind of avenue if you don't need a prescription? What stops a pharmacist from saying, Hey, you're on a sleep medication when you counsel and say, you may also benefit from a DTX? So almost like pharmacists may say, like, do you have questions about supplements? Do you have questions about things we sell on the front end? This whole health hub what stops you from having a pharmacist say, hey, talk to your pharmacist, not only just about your medications, but also other services. And because it's not a PDT, now you have the pharmacist able to escalate certain other DTX products themselves. We know who CVS is working with. We know some other ones that are working out there too. They got in their pipeline. So what stops them saying, hey, you know, why don't you start, you know, not only thinking about like, you know, other sleep medications, but also thinking about like offer a DTX today. We'll fly on the radar, you know, just because it's wellness products right now. That's easy. So like, here's a sleep DTX. Here's a mindfulness DTX. It will help out with anxiety. It's not going to help cure, treat anxiety. But if you have anxiety and that's not going to be your spot with your medication list, this might help out with that. This may help out with X, Y, Z. So I am very curious about that DTX PDD split. If It's a pure DTX that the pharmacist themselves can help push out. That, that may align out because they're going to see like all the medications. It's not hard like when someone's a medication list to talk to them, like, oh, yeah, you have X, Y, Z conditions. Could this be something else that we can help out with?
0: Super interesting. I actually have never thought of it this way as, you know, it's a dispensed drug behind the counter. It's a dispensed, to use sleep, let's just use pear, right? Somerist as a dispensed DTX, PDT in this case. And then, for lack of a better term, over the counter is the maybe big health. I'll just use them as an example. sleepy
1: Yep, exactly.
0: With Sleepio. Interesting.
1: And this is where you'll get very interesting because then it goes to this level. I'm waiting for the day we see people do comparisons. Like, what's the difference clinically between Sleepio versus Somrest. Can we get to the point where we say, like, maybe it's, you know, other things. You start off, like, start off with this. It doesn't work. This other one is where you maybe have to escalate to at the end of the day. That, to me, I think is the next weird environment I'm going to come about to. And I think that's also going to come down to, like, new wearables and such. One of the ones I look at, for instance, I mean, I saw you with one back years ago with Freestyle Libre, and now we have Abbott coming out that they're going to make this OTC version. Can you imagine like an OTC wellness program set up around these devices and digital therapies so that pharmacists can manage for wellness?
0: Yeah, I mean, there's lots of companies now that spin up like Levels Health, NutriSense. There's a couple on this side of the pond in Europe, and I'm sure APAC as well, that are leveraging some of these technologies in a consumer-focused way, even with prescriptions being sent in U.S. for that.
1: But when you argue the great limiting stuff for that is with levels is that you need to come in, you need to pay for someone to then talk to you through a teleservice to actually get dispensed out of a a virtual pharmacy and then deliver to your home. If you could just walk into the pharmacy and buy it off the shelf, that to me is where you can see. And then could you imagine the partnerships that, you know, a CVS or Walgreens could form around this kind of thing? That to me is like going to be the magic thing. You know, we treat a lot of digital health products very much as prescriptions and such, but TTX and some of these other stuff as we become more consumer level, this is actually where I see the pharmacy or the health hub of the future being such a big proponent for the community. And I think that's for pharmacists where we really have to put ourselves. It's not so much like, yeah, you know, we have prescription agents we dispense, but we also have this newer stuff that we can actually tackle into.
0: Tim, I got another one, and this is always a somewhat of a selfish question throughout this podcast. I just found out recently, actually, with from uh, Risa, The pharmacists are trained in motivational interviewing. This is something, a key component of what health coaches are trained in as part of their techniques. How do you see pharmacists, we just talked quite a lot about DTX, right? But how do you see pharmacists interfacing and interacting with potentially health coaches? Is there room for pharmacists themselves to get some additional accreditations as health coaches? Your thoughts on this and the MI techniques?
1: So, motivational interviewing has always been a huge topic focus this is what i kind of look at it so a lot of motivational interviewing a lot of coaching and such seems to rely on a lot of subjective patient data to to achieve xyz outcomes the beauty of digital health and all this stuff is that we have a lot of objective information we can pull back into it so if i were to do a greedy one let's do like adherence like how do i deal with the person says like they say i take my medication every single day and it's like but the reality is they take only 60 percent of the time like how do I take that data and what a patient's telling me and how do I then accomplish XYZ? I think that is where we can see a lot of more training for coaching and for like these discussion points. That doesn't really exist, I feel like, in terms of like this level. So I think the next level of how you deliver that coaching is actually going to be really key, like taking this type of information, this data, and combining it together. And what does that mean for the pharmacist? I think it's actually, I talk about training. This is where the data analytics stuff comes into play. That's where all this stuff really works together because I think health coaching as we see more information that we can pull upon is going to evolve even further. It's not just going to be like, you know, one-on-one, like that personality and everything else. I think it's also the build up also of synchronous and asynchronous integration. I think it's gonna be a conversation about, you know, what's the best way and medium to communicate with each other. Pharmacists being in person, is that going to be a favorable thing for some health coaching or not? And I feel like it's gonna turn into for some programs, they may be like, you know what, if you have a health coaching business and you're tied with XYZ business, it may be like we're going to offer a lot of asynchronous or virtual, and at some points we will have you walk in and talk to someone. Maybe that'd be like you know once a year or something like that or something. Like, but when do you want to kick it up for certain levels? So this is where I think it might add an extra level of a hybrid care model that we never saw in the past, and I think that's one thing that I'm really excited to see.
0: You know, it's interesting, and this is why like what we've seen and kind of hearing, doctors are prescriptive where I think in the front lines, pharmacists are also trying to understand not only the clinical aspect of that prescription, but also seeing that human being in front of them or on the screen or at least over the phone. And, you know, in the conversations we have and especially as it relates to medication adherence, a lot of times the healthcare system is so inwardly facing that adherence, even the word adherence, I've said this last season, I hate that term. It's somebody telling you what to do versus saying as a health coach, what is that goal you're trying to accomplish? And I hate to say it, it could be as simple as I want to be able to walk two blocks because I'm taking my medication, right? Depending on your therapeutic area and disease. So that's kind of, you know, what we've seen and hearing. So thank you for that.
1: I'm going to throw back to you. I think the one of the things I really want to see change, like, you know, we say diabetics instead of patients with diabetes. One thing that's just stood back to me as an academic writing a lot, it's the journals and the guidelines and everything that's written. It's like, you have a 4,000 word limit to spell out certain of these phrases that are more patient-friendly doesn't happen. I would love to see that change at some point. And I'm sitting there like, oh, I got to change this language. I got to cut like 500 words. Where do I cut down for 500 words? Like patients with diabetes turned into diabetics because that will save me like 30, 60 words downstream. This is where healthcare has to catch up with certain things because we have old traditional things that reinforce these premises. So I like you saying that. I really do.
0: We're going to take a quick break and be right back with Tim Axe. PharmD and an associate professor of pharmacy practice at Massachusetts College of Pharmacy and Health Sciences. As we're sort of in the uncharted territories, as you alluded to earlier, right? I mean, we talked about this the dispensing behind the counter, the OTC concept for digital therapeutic. I mean, let's even touch on medication management. What is the medication is a DTX? You know, how are you thinking about this? And I think, again, lots to be discovered in the space and lots to be educated upon through the, probably the pharmacy schools and many other avenues. But how are you thinking about medication management and the dosing?
1: Yeah, I think that's a great question. I mean, Megan Coder and me have had these discussions multiple times. And one thing that she would always talk about is medication reconciliation. What if I have a person come to the hospital and they're on a DTX product used for substance use or for, you know, even depression, anxiety, should us as a pharmacist be like looking and be like, add in and be like, oh yeah, they still need to have these treatments. If they don't, then because it leads to treatment failure. How do we make sure this doesn't interfere with XYZ? Do DTX have drug interactions? Do they have disease interactions we need to be aware of? These are things I think we need to be cognizant of. I don't have a good answer for that right now, but I would say from medication management, yeah. I think the fact that we have a lot of DTXs that run against or with current therapies is very key to know. And is that basically an additive or synergistic effect for therapy is yet to be answered. But I think that's where we have to take in consideration: like this thing works with this and it leads to X Y Z outcome. If you mess with this or you mess with that, then you know what's the downstream complications that could face it at the end of the day, or is therapy being optimized with or without these things? I think that's one thing that's going to come up is you're going to see arguments for like in like pharmaceutical market, like generics, like, oh, yeah, the traditional generic drug, but then, you know, a pharmaceutical company with another company made a DTX with their branded drug. Does that actually have better outcomes? We talk about social determinants of health. We talk about health equity and such. Like, do we eventually enter this weird digital discord where, yeah, you take a generic medication and all you're going to rely on is like the pharmaceutical point. Whereas if you have really good insurance or you have some other background, they maybe say, oh yeah, you qualify for medication with a digital treatment. And that's actually going to help you way better than the other one. Maybe it helps you out with adherence. Maybe it helps you out with other disease information. Maybe it helps you with like, you know, your overall therapy. But that to me is actually from medication therapy management side, I'm actually kind of worried about, but excited about like, yeah, we'll have new options, but the payment schemes and such, like, do I eventually see like almost a separation between different populations? Right. Yeah, all you can get is a drug now these days. Sorry, you're going to have to like, go online order your mail-order drug and do that versus someone else can go down and actually get their medication plus something else. That's the thing I think that's going to come down for us as pharmacists.
0: And curious, what are you hearing seen from pharma? I mean, pharmaceutical companies obviously have their market access, their distribution channels. They work, uh, they're kind of frenemies with PBMs and therefore the pharmacists at the <laughs> local corner, but also through the PBM. What are you seeing hearing from the pharmaceutical companies on kind of the deployment? I actually don't know many product that are quote unquote standalone product PDTs in pharma. Anything you're hearing from quote unquote the ground?
1: Yeah, I mean, drugs still make money. That's the end of the day. And the thing is, like, you look at like the top 100 branded drugs that are making money in the U.S., other will just with the U.S. market. What areas are they? Their specialty. Specialty makes over 50% of the profits in medication in the United States, but they're the smallest pharmacy subset. They're probably about 10% less of the pharmacies in the U.S. So you have 10% of the pharmacies actually making 50% of the profit at the end of the day. Pharma is not done about that. That's why you have conferences like Assembly and all this other stuff that people will flock to. What they need to figure out is, how do they use this market and turn it more? Is this the reason why I saw you If you saw take a step back from cardiometabolic and say, we're going more into rare conditions and rare conditions means like, you know, biologics at the end of the day, which will be specialty. And so you have all of this that's going on. I see no reason why you don't see pharma really focus on these specialty conditions with a lot of DTX and digital health overall, because one, they need more of that data. That's what they really want. When you have less patients, how do you turn more data out of it that's meaningful one way? And then you, how do you feed it back? So that's one. Two, they have to come back to the payers with something else. And unless you're like orphan drug or some really, really rare condition that could stand on feet, as they get into like, even like me too biologics, how do I stand out from my competition? So you're going have different parts of pharma you are gonna talk about, this. you know, is this a commercial issue? Is this a medical affairs issue? Where does this fall into play? Regulatory, they'll figure it out because they're just gonna go back and they'll make it work. I think it's an argument between pharma companies, you know, is this a medical affairs issue? Or is it commercial? I think commercial right now for a lot of pharmaceutical companies is leaning a lot of digital health things because for them, they either want to stand out from the competition or they want to see how they can add more value so they get people to go on to these therapies because they are expensive. But if digital over time turns into something less cost, that's, you know, is another add-on at the end of the day, like, oh, I just bought this nice car. And it's like, oh, would you like a little bit of this added package on there? you like, yeah, why not? So it makes next a little better, right? Then this might be what helps some of the payers come on and take them on as well. Especially they can, you know, traditionally, you would have had an adherence with, rate right, with this injectable about this amount. When we combine it with this, and it shoots up like 10%. they are going to sit back and like, yeah, it's worth the cost. Let's do it. So, those are tens of things I expect see pharma doing. I expect it commercial driven right now, but I think medical, as they're getting smarter with this, is going to intervene earlier. And that's what we'll probably see more balanced approach. Definitely right now for digital health overall and digital therapies. I feel like commercial. Is like the hard hitters right now. And they're just seeing it as a way to actually just increase volume of sales of their products at the end of the day, medical and some other ones. And as they get more of a better voice around this, I think they can make a much more cohesive service for everyone else over time.
0: Well, that sound means it's time for a question from my clinical and commercial partner on this podcast, Chandana Fitzgerald, who is the chief medical officer and general manager of Health Excel. And as her friends call her, Dr. No Crack. Let's see what question Chandana has for our guest today. Hey, Tim, what is the craziest or out there question pharma company or a digital therapeutic creator has come to you with?
1: Thanks, Chandana. So one of the biggest things that have come up to me with some of the DTX manufacturers is I've heard some really crazy pitches around how they can combine the drug and the devices or such like that. So I'll give you one example. This person had, like, a device that could detect seizures, right? And for seizures, you detect them, but what are you going to do with the kids? Calling ambulance, get service and such. But this person wanted to come with, like, a better solution she could treat at the moment. And they were like, what stops you from adding on a wearable device that would inject medications into the person when the device sensed this? I was like, okay, you're thinking, like, closed-loop, like, diabetes kind of thing? Okay, maybe. But but here's the thing. Pharmaceutically, it was like, you can't get away with this. The stabilization of the drug, XYZ, this doesn't work. The only way you could do is if you didn't something else, there. Like, well, what if they just had surgery and they put it in their brain? And I was like, no, 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 no. No, no, no payer is going to back that up. No one's going to back that up. Like, that's just adding more fuel to the fire that you don't need. So what I think has really interested to me is I come across a lot of people with engineering backgrounds. like They really want to fix these problems. They love DTS. So it's easy to make. But what I think that's come out to me is that understanding of workflows, understanding of standard of care, Aside from your television shows, like most people don't understand this. I think it's actually one of the biggest things that's a huge fallacy is that you come with a DTS and you're like, this will fix things. But I always come back to it like you created a solution for a problem that may not have existed or a problem you didn't understand. And I wish people would take a step back and look at this problem and be like, how big of a problem is this? What's the financial problem around this? It could be a clinical problem. And don't get me wrong, clinical problems are clinical problems at the end of the day. But sometimes they just don't make business. They don't make money, at least not right now. And that's where you're going to fail.
0: Yeah, I'm just going to hop in this because this is so close to my heart. There's great entrepreneurs, there's great inventors. I always look at this as kind of technology push and a pull, you know, solving a real problem. So fully agree. I mean, while again, at some point, maybe we'll hopefully for, God forbid, any kids having seizures, that maybe there will be a device that can help right there and then. Never say never. That's what I would say, and keep believing and pursuing, as entrepreneurs. But there also needs to be, as you mentioned, validation and all of that, and evidence generation, but also feasibility. Right. That's a big thing. You kind of mentioned around, you know, even understanding what a DTX is and how does it all fit in. How do you see, you know, if you notice, we'll use Akili as an example. They didn't say it's Akili Digital Therapeutic for ADHD. They called it Endeavor RX, right? It's a branding thing. So, I guess my question to you is how far away do you think we are from when all the pharmacists out there know what a DTX is? Or do you see this as, well, maybe it's not a DTX, it's just a therapy. And this just happens to be a digital one called Endeavor RX for the ADHD in this case. Your thoughts? So, in terms of timelines and such, probably
1: I'm going to throw out to about 2025. I think a lot of the companies have to do some really hard market shaping strategies. I think they're going to have to take a hard look at, you know, who are they going to invest time and effort into? Do we do a traditional pharma approach where we have MSLs to go out and like we try to do that, that kind of avenue for medications? Just like, you know, talking about DTS going to PDTs and how they sell. Is marketing the same way? Or is there a new way of doing this? You know, do you embrace the micro-influencers and other kind of market? It's all over the place. I don't think it's the best idea. But I think the hard part is where I look at DTX at the end of the day. It's almost like bringing a new class of medications into the market. Like, OK, I finished pharmacy school a decade ago and you come out and tell me, oh, we have a new class of drugs or more system mechanism of action that does X, Y, Z. Like, I'm going to have to train myself on this. I'm going to sit down and have to like, you know, read this. You know, I'm going to look for continuing education. It's like, you know, what is this class? How does it work? And pull back on my early knowledge of, you know, pharmacotherapy. Anatomy, physiology, pharmacokinetics, because I had that baseline right. I'm prepared to control this. But you know, here's the problem, Eugene. Like, I don't have a baseline knowledge of AI, ML, or any of that stuff. So you say, oh, we have new DTX that works like this, and it does XYZ, and I'm gonna sit back and be like, yeah, I don't have the basic scientific knowledge to process this. So I need that too first. Like, what the hell is a DTX even mean? What does that transfer into and then build upon to it? So I think a lot of people have like the second part they try to push out. But the basic knowledge of just the premise, this one on one, that's why I'm putting up like another two years until we get most of the medical professionals there understanding it, this other stuff is gonna slip right by. That's the unfortunate thing.
0: And are you seeing pharmacy programs starting to include some of those? And again, not detail, you know, coding AI algorithms, but at least from a ten thousand foot view or even forty thousand foot view, are you seeing a lot of programs starting to include it to educate future pharmacists on some of this?
1: Yes. That is my leading focus right now is trying to, as an associate professor, like nationally, internationally, I've collaborated with different organizations. Our question is, we know this stuff is coming. What is the reality of it? What does it mean for our profession? How do we educate our future and current learners on this material? And even the current pharmacists, how to be caught up to speed. So there's like three areas we got to do. We got to think about like current practitioners, new practitioners, and upcoming practitioners. Those are three different ways that we have to think about education. And so right now I'm trying to focus on all three different strategies. But the biggest thing is I just want to do like one-on-one level. Like, hey, this is what a digitalization of healthcare looks like. Because I will tell you, one of the most frustrating things for me right now is looking and seeing programs talk about like, oh, let's get students back in the classroom. Let's talk about what we did and everything else. So I'm just like, we have two plus years where we saw care change. like Telehealth entered the market. That's all debatable and like blah, 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 But what is feasible in terms of how healthcare is delivered going forward has changed ultimately. People got a taste for what this is. People are now thinking differently, clinical trials, lists and such. How do you provide care? What level of acuity conditions can you tackle different things? This is where I am actually really flummoxed because I'm like, we need to take a step back and think about what this means and how do we address it? So I think that intro language and building up the baseline knowledge for or pharmacists and students is key, because then as they hear about new and services, they're not going to to put two and two together on their own. Like, oh, yeah, I understand the premise here. This is just another technology that can do X, Y, Z. So for me right now, that is my focus. Like, how do I build that baseline knowledge? How do I build that pharmacokinetics language? What is AI? What is ML? They don't have to do it. They just have to understand what it means and how to tie that stuff together at the end of the day.
0: So, with all of this, what would your advice be to a pharmacist, pharmacist today that's already practicing, but also the future pharmacists as it relates to DTX? I mean, I'm sure you have other advice. (laughs) Yeah. And you've heard
1: it. But, like, in terms of DTX, we need to think long and hard in terms of what this means for our current pharmacotherapy management. Can we separate the medications away from all this tech stuff that comes out in the future? As we see a product come to market, like, let's suppose you have drug X comes to market and says, this will help reduce heart failure exacerbations by XYZ percent. Like, that's great. You look at the methodology and they use another device or such. For our is should we recommend then that that patient should have that device along with that other care? Is that needed to make sure that we achieve said outcome? Or does the medication on its own do that? So we need to start thinking about just beyond like, oh, you take XYZ medication, you also use... X use device Y that works with those things. And then here's the most unfortunate thing I can probably see that's going to be a frustration part next decade or end of this decade. You have company X that has this one product and use this one device, company Y that has their own product and another device. And it's like, do I tell a patient use both devices? Do I tell them to use one? Is that going to be a difference? These are the kind of questions I can see coming downstream that will hit us. And we're going to have to think hard about it. We have to make their clinical recommendation to these people. To me, that is what it is. I think it's not necessarily changing and blowing up what we do, but it's setting the fact that in the digitalization of care, we have to factor in how our medications are delivered to the patients and what else is going on around them that impact at the end of the day. And that I think is going to be more of a call upon where I come back to that basic knowledge. It's not like, okay, you understand anatomy, You understand kinetics, you understand biochemistry, blah, blah, blah. And that's enough. No, we need to understand a little bit more now and things that we never really thought about in the past to actually make this all work together. Especially if you want to go down a path like precision medicine, stuff like that. This is what was going to end up happening. This was the end goal.
0: Even though I'm not a pharmacist, I'm going to add one more. And I think as we talk through, there's still so much ambiguity in even the what, not only the how still, right? what is a process? What is a digital therapeutic that just came with a new modality, right? I know there's great definitions and Digital Therapeutic Alliance is doing a great amount of work around it. So I would just add on kind of resilience and somewhat of an entrepreneurial spirit. You know, there's a word doctorpreneur. Is there like a pharmacopreneur? I don't know. I think that sounds pretty (laughs) awkward, but uh, (laughs) some equivalent of that. So, uh, you know, shout out to the pharmacist community and please would love to hear your feedback and How you handling this open here to hear thoughts tim we started with you would love to end with a little bit more about yourself what gets you up in the morning
1: in many ways i regard my current role as driving this change for the profession i will say in the past decade i've had colleagues i've had other people tell me that this stuff is just a fad digital will never take off blah 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 and I feel the pandemic has justified a lot of my work that I did to get to this point. At the end of the day, so what gets me up right now is that I'm hoping someone else will also in my profession will get up and be like, "Hey, we need to do this," and I will feel justified. Then, you know, if I can be like the grandfather of digital health and pharmacy profession, like that'd be great. If I can be the person to help, like, drove this interest and such, I would be so happy about it because I think it's what's needed. It's tiring at times. I'm seeing more people pop up that are very interesting. I see like Parisa Pantanka. I see some other people are coming in. I see a new generation of pharmacy students are asking these questions. I'm like, you guys are going to be what's there. So for me, it's like, this is my professional driven endeavor to get to the point where I can be like, at least I got the profession thinking about this and accepting of it. After that, I think I probably want to go create. I think the next few years for me is really focused on this market shaping and such, but with a, over a decade's worth of experience and like seeing what has worked and what hasn't worked, I'd also like to take a step back and like I think go to the next level is implementation. It's education, I like to go to implementation next. So like all these questions you ask are things I'm thinking about, like maybe it's time to go help make that stuff too. So that's the other thing that's getting me up and thinking about that. That I think will take a little bit more time,
0: but I think that's gonna be what's needed. Fantastic. Thanks, Tim, for being here and educating our audience on the pharmacist view and what still needs to be done in order for the digital therapies to be in people's hands and uh, helping with those health outcomes. Thanks, Eugene. Appreciate it. Thanks for tuning into the Digital Therapeutics Edition of Digital Health Today, a production of Mission-Based Media. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast player, so you're automatically notified each time I speak with one of these amazing leaders and trailblazers who are forging the path for digital therapeutics. If you'd like to learn more about Your Coach Help or Health Excel, you can find the links to this and more in the show notes for this episode. I'm Eugene Borovic, and catch you next time.